So when you think of the Lord's Prayer, um, well, first of all, how many of you and uh, how many of you have never heard the Lord's Prayer before? Have you never heard it before? How many of you have the uh, Lord's Prayer memorized? Quite a few of you. How many of you have it maybe mostly memorized and you have to remind yourself every once in a while? Yeah, right. So in case you're like me and sometimes you just need a good reminder, we're going to read it here to start with and then we'll circle back around to it. So it's in Matthew. We're going to do the Matthew version. There's one in Matthew and in Luke. They are almost absolutely identical, very similar. Uh, we'll be primarily focusing on Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 6, if you want to turn there, verse 9. And uh, the, he responds basically to the disciples asking him, them, um, how should we pray? And he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right, so when you hear that, um, what, do you, what do you think of when you when you hear either the term the Lord's Prayer or you read through it? What comes to mind for you? I'm going to ask you a lot of interactive questions tonight. What do you think of? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Yep. Prayer? Prayer? Yeah, good. What else? What do you think of? It's not a right or wrong answer. I always kind of think of my initial reaction without reading the words or anything as sort of like a, <clears throat> a sacred prayer, if you would. Like a prayer, in other words, that's set apart from other prayers. Yep, Amy? Sure, so like the ultimate, let me borrow you prayer, right? You're going to... If you're not sure what to pray, you you take advantage of the Lord's Prayer and pray. And in fact, that's really a a great option and example because when Jesus is talking to his uh, disciples, again, they are asking him to teach me how to pray, right? And I know a lot of people, pretty much everyone that ever starts praying is certainly nervous praying. And there'll be certain times in your life where you don't know how to pray or you're not sure how to pray for a situation. Um, So again, it's a great... um, thing to fall back on. You know, that's one of the purposes I believe Jesus gave it to us. So that's a great reason. Why do you think Jesus chooses to focus on the things he does in the Lord's Prayer? Any thoughts? What's your initial thought? Right, he could have said anything under the sun. He chooses these words. Why why these things? What do you think? Yeah, good. Pam says things that he really wants us to sort of dwell on or think about, like key points. doesn't want us to miss them. He has a strategy to it. What else? Why pick the things he picks? If you're going to teach a child some things and you have one shot, what are you going to pick? Yeah, right? What's most important to you? Like, I don't want you to miss this, at least, right? And so I think it gives a lot of credence and value um, to the Lord's Prayer in the sense that clearly there's not many times where in Scripture where something is sort of, I don't, 
um, almost idolized, like set apart. Like you think of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, right? It is the, the gold standard of the Old Testament. There's a lot of laws in the Old Testament, right? But the Ten Commandments are sort of set apart from the rest, right? Kind of the same thing in the, in the New Testament. You can think of like the Sermon on the Mount and uh, like the Lord's Prayer are, are, as a couple of examples of things that are sort of, if you would, set apart from the rest, kind of standing out a little bit. Do you think there's any significance to the order of the Lord's Prayer? How so? Yeah, right? So Ken Taylor is kind of saying the emphasis in the Lord's Prayer is it starts with God first, right? And, and I think if we're honest, I know for myself, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, when we go to pray, how often do we put God first in our prayers, right? Probably pretty seldom, at least in our culture, our Christian culture. I, don't, I can't speak for the rest of the world, you know, around the globe or anything, uh, but pretty common for us to focus on our needs, to start there, and to also end there. Correct? I mean, most of the time. And I'm not saying that to shame us or anything. That's how we're wired, and that's our culture and what we've sort of accepted as the norm. And uh, Jesus, I think, is trying to help the disciples. You know, I sort of have to assume they're kind of in that same boat. You know, I wouldn't be surprised, at least, if, if they were. So I want to kind of give us a little background to before he jumps into the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the background to this is kind of previously in, in chapter 6 and before this, he's talking about uh, generous acts, um, kind of comparing prayer to generous acts. So for example, let's say I do something really amazing uh, for Sophia, and I just brag about it to everybody. Like, and I was so awesome. You know what I did for her. And I just go off and off and off and off about this, right? And he sort of, he, he tells the disciples, don't broadcast your generosity, right? This is how he's setting up the Lord's Prayer, right? In other words, don't go brag about it. If you're going to give to somebody, do it in secret. Don't let anybody else know about it, right? Don't let somebody know, know your intentions. That's not the purpose of a generous gift, Right? It's not to, to brag upon yourself. Right? Go do good deeds that nobody knows about. Don't go around and tell a whole bunch of people. You know, it reminds me of, um, remember when he was talking about the widow's mite? The mite was the smallest form of currency in that time period. It's, I think, even smaller than like our penny would be. I mean, it's very little. And... Um, he, you know, he was talking about how the, the rich people and the Pharisees would go up and they'd drop tons of money in the offering plate, right? And in those days, it was up front, and so they'd make a big show about it, you know? I don't know if you've ever seen, like, a Robin Hood show. I've seen a few of them where they come up, up front in an old, like, Lutheran or Catholic church, and you, you know, dump the coins, and the big building just echoes everywhere, right? Well, some rich guy just dropped in a bunch of money. So they made a big show about it. And Jesus tells them when the, when the, widow, when the widow goes up and she almost in shame, kind of, or embarrassment, because she doesn't have much, she drops in this little mite and walks away. Remember, he tells her that she has given more than they. Right? And Jesus is kind of looking at the heart of it. And he sort of uses that, sort of like this, with the generous gifts to set up prayer, talking about when you go to do something, don't make a big braggy 
show about it, right? And it doesn't matter if it's your time or your talents, you know, your giftings or your money. The purpose of giving those things is not to make, let everybody know how amazing you are, right? Because it's really not about you. And so he kind of sets up prayer, and then he switches to this and responds uh, to the disciples' questions. So we're going to, again, read chapter 6, verse 5 to 8, as he sort of sets up the Lord's prayer. He's teaching them a prayer. He says, When you pray, in verse 5, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full, or already received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. But do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. So why, why does he say a hypocrite stands up in front of the church praying or on the street corner praying? What, what makes somebody a hypocrite that would do that? Or could make them a hypocrite? So for example, I'm pretty vulnerable to this accusation, right? I mean, I'm up front praying a lot. What potentially makes me a hypocrite? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so Amy is saying like somebody, you know, if it, I'll use myself as an example, if I was praying simply to draw attention to myself, right? And I'm not praying out of conviction and concern over a for person or an issue, right? In other words, they're, they're already receiving the awards because they're not actually really praying so much as they are giving a speech. Does that make sense? Right? So their attention is the reward of the hypocrite, whether they're on the street corner or they're in front of the church or whatever, in their small group and taking over the small group with a nice, long, elaborate prayer, right? The point of it is they're trying to draw attention to themselves. The attention is not on the issue. It's not on God. It's not on their relationship with God. The attention is on themselves. So they're a hypocrite because they're pretending, in a way, to pray to God while actually making a speech to the crowd or whoever's around them. And so Jesus tells them to avoid the trap of praying to simply gather attention and be heard. Because this is the trap of the Pharisees. And instead, in order to help them not fall into that trap, is to go and pray where no one will hear you. In other words, get in the habit of praying where nobody else knows about it. Now, he's not saying... Jesus is not saying, don't ever pray out loud. I know a few of you might like to hear that, but that's not what he's telling them. Or don't ever pray in groups, or don't ever pray in front of somebody. That is not what Jesus is saying. right? What he is saying is pray what's on your heart and remember that your audience 
in the end really is God alone. You're praying to an audience of one. Right? And this is the Holy One, the Holy One of Israel. And Jesus is teaching people who are uncomfortable with prayer and also people who are very comfortable with long speeches they call prayer and giving them both advice, right? So their advice for the speech maker, I'm going to write this down so we don't forget it. So there's two people he's talking to. He's talking to the speech makers, right? And he's talking to the... I'm going to call them the nervous prayers. Right? And I know quite a few of you can identify with this, and that's okay. So it's the speech maker. He tells them, cut to the chase. Right? Cut to the chase, and also, kind of point one, point two, is pray in private. Because to the speech maker, again, it's not all about you. It's about praying to the Holy One in heaven. And to the nervous one, he says simply, keep it simple, and pray what's on your heart. Share your heart, right? Keep it simple, share your heart. Don't complicate it. Don't try and get fancy. Just keep it simple and share your heart. And the second point for them is be confident instead of nervous because you serve and you're talking to an audience of one. And he already knows what you're going to pray. Okay? So on a practical level, your prayers, whether it be at the family dinner table, your devotions while you're reading your Bible, you know, in your head during test time at school, at church, during a sporting event, holiday gathering, whatever, you're still, in the end, your audience is just one. God Almighty. It's just simply that when somebody else is there, they get to join in and benefit from your prayer too. Sort of partake with you. I have to, I'm going to talk about a tangent here for just a second. I want to encourage you, highly encourage you. The thing that bothers me the most, probably, uh, it's still probably the thing that I get most angry with my own kids, and I think here and elsewhere, is when people are praying and somebody starts giggling. Right? That nervous, that insecure giggling. To me, it's sort of like somebody is, um, somebody is ready to, pour their heart out to God. But they're being held back because somebody else over here and their insecurity is giggling and distracting and pulling them back, holding them back. Right? It's sort of, I don't know, the best way I can uh, describe it in my own, now this is my soapbox, it's not somebody else's, right? It's not Jesus talking about this, just, just, just me. But it's sort of like, it would be almost be like if I went to I don't know, share something and somebody started speaking back profanity at me. Like it's just a huge distraction, if that makes sense. And so I just encourage you, when you are in a a setting uh, and somebody is giggling and distracting and pulling you back from either really important, healthy conversations when somebody else is talking about serious stuff 
and getting ready to pour their heart out or talking to God, don't, don't distract each other in that manner. Don't hold each other back. And don't accept it. I just have zero tolerance for giggling in the middle of prayer at any age. I think it's incredibly, incredibly disrespectful and inappropriate. And so I encourage you, wherever you are, no matter what age you are, to do everything you can to have zero tolerance for a distraction when somebody else is talking to God and pouring out their heart to Him. Now, if you're if you're new, uh, you know, again, at, at, at praying, uh, just understand the enemy wants to use any method possible to distract you and hold you back. doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's giggling. doesn't matter if it's your insecurity. doesn't matter if it's your fear. doesn't matter if you're worried about what does somebody else think. Again, go back to just the basics of Jesus' sharing. Simply share your heart. Just put it out there. It doesn't have to complicate it. You don't have to explain it away. God knows what's going on. But be confident that he hears you and that he understands what you're saying. Right? And I encourage you again, other people are going to benefit. I was thinking of uh, like worship. You know how, f- uh, so I came up here um, on S- Palm Sunday. Our kids at church, those of you who go to church here, uh, did a really sweet kid sing uh, in front of the church. Weren't they adorable and cute? <laughs> right? So sweet. So I had the privilege of being the kids' pastor. I'm up here and watching Miss Stephanie lead the kids, and they're all lined up, about 50 of them, kindergartners through fifth graders up here. The little kids joined us as well. But they're all just singing their heart out, no music. And I video recorded. I'd show it to you, but I'd get in trouble because I don't have permission to do that. But super sweet. Super sweet. I can't tell you how much it touched my heart to hear these little kids sing. And to be quite honest with you, sometimes when I get the privilege of standing next to you and hearing you when you sing loud enough for me to hear you, I get really fired up and excited about that. I just want you to know that. When you, when you are worshiping, now God is still your audience. Right? He alone is still your audience. But when you are saying something loud enough, whether it be in prayer or in worship, for someone else to also hear you, they could experience that joy too. That's the benefit of praying in a group, is that your audience is still just Jesus. And he's really just the only one that matters, but at the same time, somebody else gets the benefit from your prayer too. And connect with you in that, in that process. So our prayers, again, they can be super uplifting, right, to ourselves and to others. Um, but just remind yourself, again, no matter how it's going, no matter how insecure you might feel, how many nervous you might feel about it, your audience is still one. And if you like to give really long prayers, which I don't think is the, uh, the challenge in our group, but if you're around somebody who likes to, and we probably know a few people who do, um, again, just understand in the end, we are just supposed to present our heart request to God. Okay? And the Holy Spirit is an amazing messenger to our, to our God, whether it's God speaking to us or us speaking to God. Uh, my little funny note here is that he's faster than a 5G internet network. He's instanta- instantaneous, right? So you don't have to worry about God not hearing you and not responding right away. There is no delay. All right, so Luke chapter 11, verse 1. We're not going to go there, but it's Jesus. The disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. That is the request, right? So the disciples notice there is something different about the way Jesus prays, prays compared to every other example they have in their lives. Right? Whether it be the church leaders 
or it be their friends, or it be their families, or it be their grandparents, or whoever it is. There's something different about the way Jesus prays. Right? There's something deeper. There's something more meaningful. There's something more relational. There's something more impactful with the way that Jesus prays compared to everybody else. And so they ask him, Jesus, tell us your secret. Right? Tell us your secret. Teach us to pray. Have you ever noticed when you're in a group praying that there's sort of, I don't know how to describe it, I guess different levels of power that different people have in prayer? And, you know, we ourselves might experience that at different levels. You know, sometimes we're kind of checked out. We're just barely just kind of going through the motions. Sometimes you might really get into it. Sometimes you might really, really get into it, you know? And so, you know, sometimes you can go through and you'll have somebody who's just really awkward praying, right? Because they're learning how to pray. They don't do it very often. It's uncomfortable, right? They don't maybe know how to say something out loud or they're not sure. They're, you know, they're insecure. Does God really hear me? Right? Then we have those, uh, like you hear often, that are just sort of in, I, I call it transaction mode. You know, where it, we, kind of like I talked about earlier, it's all just about requests, right? Maybe a lot of thanks too, but it's sort of like, almost like you treat God like a really cool, good vending machine. Right? And so everything's just about requests. Requests, requests, requests. And oh, yes, thank you, because that was really cool too. Requests, requests, requests. You know what I'm talking about. Right? And then you sort of take prayer to a whole new level where suddenly you can be around someone and you're praying and you realize, oh, this person actually gets it. Like they, they have a relationship with their audience. And they are treating their audience as a person not a vending machine. And there is a level of respect there. And you sort of tune in and are drawn to the conversation because it's not just a transaction, right? There's actually an intimate relationship taking place. And then I would say you could take it to another level where we sort of call it you know, spirit-led is a, often is a way you would maybe say this, but where someone is deeply pouring their heart out to God. Right? And they are expressing themselves, and it's not a long speech, even if it's longer, it's, it's like, God, this is, this is where I'm at. Right? Or, this is, or maybe they're interceding for somebody else, but they're just really pouring their, their heart out. And you ever have that moment when you're praying or you're worshiping and you just feel overwhelmed by the presence of God? Right? This is what happens in prayer when somebody is really expressing themselves in a heartfelt. You know God is going to answer the prayer. You sense the Holy Spirit come in His presence and in His power and you are drawn in and you are connected to what they are praying. This is when often we get really, really excited that you get to listen in with somebody else or if yourself, you just sense the presence of God. Right? And you have the peace of God and the confidence of God. So Jesus starts off teaching them how to pray by saying, Thy kingdom come. Right? First and foremost, it's an invitation of God's kingdom, His way of doing life, to come into their lives. God's way of thinking to take over their minds. Right? God's way of processing emotions to come in and take over your emotions. God's way of interacting with others to come in and take over your relational interactions. 
God's Spirit to come in and take over your interactions in the spiritual realm. It's an invitation and a request for God the Father, this first relationship, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, another relational aspect, in your life to such a degree that others don't recognize the old Sophie, right? The old Taylor, the old Caleb, the old Alyssa. And instead they see a whole lot of Jesus being poured out of yours in my life. All right, this is the invitation, thy kingdom come. Lord Jesus, I don't want to operate out of myself. Does that make sense? Because I get tired and cranky really easy. Right, when I'm dealing with something difficult, I don't want to operate out of myself. I want to operate out of thy kingdom. And I need God's help in a dramatic way in order to do that. So thy kingdom come is an invitation. Jesus, come and take over. Right? It's me surrendering my agenda, your agenda, our agenda, to what God really wants. Less of us, more of him, to elevate his kingdom in our life. All right, so it doesn't matter what it is. Again, if it's a tough relationship, tough situation, big impactful decision, <clears throat> before asking the question, we always want to ask God, what should I do? Right? Instead, we ask our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, right? My Father in heaven, my audience of one. Recognizing who I'm talking to. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Perfect is, a na- is your name. You alone are above this situation. You alone, God Almighty, Holy God, see this situation perfectly. Hallowed be your name. Right, he's set apart. Your kingdom come, Lord. I always think of, Lord, bring the rain. You ever heard that phrase before? <laughs> Might be an older phrase. Lord, bring your presence, right? Shower me with your perspective. Your kingdom come, Lord Jesus. Your will be done. You know, I may not know what needs to be done or what should be done, and I may or may not feel like I have the strength to follow through. So God, give me your strength. Give me your will. Lord Jesus, give me your desire for the best possible situation in my current struggle. Your will be done. Remember when Jesus prayed this? That's so well known. When did he pray this? Yeah, in the garden. Why did he pray in the garden, Pam? Yeah. Right? He didn't want to be crucified. That's what Jesus was saying. I don't want to go through the suffering, Father God. I don't want to go to the cross. But your will be done. Because you ask, I will go. Because you ask, I will surrender my will. And it will become my will. See, Jesus is willing to put his priority aside and trade it for what, Jesus, what God the Father wanted. So I don't know what your current struggle is, um, but we all have some. How hard is it to pray, thy will be done? Thy kingdom come. It's a hard point of surrender. 
And then he goes on, on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God, bring your heavenly best to this situation. I desire your solution. Remove, remove, Father God, my earthly, narrow-minded bias and replace it with your heavenly perspective for this situation. I lay down my perspective. I lay down my agenda. I lay down my ego. God, I want your perspective. I want your agenda. You know why we get so upset with politicians? It's because they don't listen to the people who voted them in their agenda. They make their own. They fail to surrender. Right? Jesus tells us not to be like that. To surrender our agenda to God the Father, our audience of one's agenda. And in the end, it will be in such a way that God be glorified and we simply get to make the wise decision because we chose to submit our way of doing life for God's kingdom. In the words of John Maxwell, that's an amazing trade-up. You ever wonder why do we not see more of God's kingdom on earth now? Well, it's because we don't have very many people praying thy kingdom come and willing to also surrender to it. The more we're willing to surrender to God's kingdom come, his way of doing life, the more we see glimpses of heaven on earth. Right, so friends, it's, I, I hope it sounds good to you to follow Jesus because he has some good advice for us on how to do that in this prayer. Right, and realize when he's teaching the disciples that all, all prayer is founded or based upon our relationship with God. Right, again, it starts off with our Father in heaven, as Taylor pointed out to us. The importance of Jesus starting that way is very, very significant. Right, and we forget, I think, often, especially when we get in transaction mode or nervous mode where I don't even want to ask him anything, that we're talking to a person. Right? Again, if you think about it, when you are, even when you know, you're young, and all of us can probably think back to times where we were even more insecure than we are now, right? Most of us. And, you know, I think back of myself. <laughs> this is a funny story. I have a lot of stories with this. So I don't want to embarrass any of my uh, children, but one of them in particular, I'm not going to say his name, well, I'll like introduce him to somebody, or, or you know, you know, and you just, just expect him to just say hi. That's all you got to do. You don't have to, you don't have to talk a lot, right? You know, just hey, you know, say hi, and just, you know, <laughs> and it's just like, oh man, I hope you grow out of this. <laughs> but you know, we can be like that to God, right? I mean, we're sitting in a group, maybe everyone else is praying, and you're just sitting there and just. I don't, I don't pray out loud. You know, that's not my thing. And I realize it's uncomfortable if you've never done it before. But it's just like if you were standing in front of somebody and you say nothing. Right? It just, that just makes it even more awkward. I mean, honestly. Right? So, again, we need to remember that all prayer, it's not about making some amazing speech. It's not about using a great 
words, right? It's simply about talking to God. It's that simple. It's talking to the person who created you that knows you better than anybody else and loves you. There's nothing you could possibly say that would surprise him. Not one thing. So again, remember all prayer is simply relational. Right? And if you want to build your life upon the rock of ages, you have to build your life upon the scriptures as laid out in scripture and on the words of Jesus. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, this is Jesus talking, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Right, so the, again, the wise man builds his house upon the rock of ages, right? Builds his house upon, his life is built on the scriptures, right? And when the storms of life come, because they will come, he's not shaken, right? Life doesn't fall apart. It remains stable even in the storm because you're doing life with Jesus and you're obedient to thy kingdom. God's kingdom. To his word, right? And to his spirit of God and to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you want to have an amazing life, you have to be willing to live in the spirit and follow the scriptures. Right? And to surrender again your will to the presence and the power of God, and he will promises if you are obedient to him and attuned to him and surrender your will to his, he will pour his spirit out upon you. In other words, his favor upon you, his presence upon you, his peace upon you, his knowledge upon you, his kindness upon you, his goodness upon you. So everybody always wants those things, but the only way to get them is by Surrendering to thy kingdom, to God's kingdom, his way of doing life. And you have to realize that he can only trust you with his power, those things you want so badly, to the degree that you are obedient and you are growing in relationship with him. You know, imagine um, imagine you want to this will catch maybe a couple people's attention here. If you want to own your own business, right? We have this saying that we don't hand you the keys to the kingdom. Ever heard that phrase before? On day one. Or in other words, like let's say you want to, I don't know, anybody like ice cream here? Right? Yeah. Oh, a few of you. Oh, good. Got your attention. I love Big Dipper, okay? If you've never been there, you need to go eat there. That is your pastoral command for the night. Amen. So... It's downtown, by the way. So if you want to own Big Dipper or something similar to it, great ice cream shop, right? And you go in on day one, they're not going to turn the management store over to you on your first day working at the age of 16 or whatever, right? 
you are going to have to earn it. Right? You're going to have to earn it in two ways. One, you're going to have to earn it by proving that you follow through with a lot of tasks, right? And are diligent. And in other words, obedient to their commands and instructions laid out. And you're also, if you want to be the manager, have to build relationship with them. Because even if you're obedient, but you're not relational to them and not building trust with them, they're not going to trust you either. So both have to happen. So for God to do the same thing, and let's just say you want a ton of peace in your life, you don't feel like you have peace right now. Right? We just went through our whole mental health series. I know a lot of you are struggling with peace. Right? If you're dealing with an anxiety and depression and doubting, you don't have much peace usually. So if you want to trade those things for peace, you have to both be obedient to what God is asking you to do and what your parents are asking you to do, assuming they're healthy parents, which most of you have. And you have to also build a relationship with God. right? Because he, you're not going to pick up on what he has unless you do those two things. It works the same way in practical life as it does in the spiritual realm. You know, often we forget that a lot of the things we go through, and we just call them practical ways of living, are preparation for eternity as well. Right? They're not completely separated. So again, if you want to live the kind of life you want to live, you have to build relationship and trust with God. And this is one of the things that Jesus is trying to show the disciples, because everyone wants to take the shortcut. Right? Remember Peter, James and John, they're asking Jesus right off the bat early in their ministry, well, I don't know, necessarily right off the bat, but quickly in their ministry, right? can we sit next to your right and your left hand in heaven? And Jesus is like, fellas, <laughs> like, you have no idea what you are asking for. You know, it's like if I go to the CEO of Exxon and, and I ask, hey, I want to be the COO. That's the second guy in command. You know, I mean, he's going to look at me like, what? Who are you even? Right? Who are you? Why are you asking this? See, it has to be earned. And to earn something like that is something that most people are never going to be prepared to earn. There is no shortcut but following Jesus out of relationship with him, which is going to primarily happen in prayer and in obedience. Because in obedience, there is a surrender and a proof that you're worth, worthy of trust. Now, you have to also understand that God is generous and he gets really excited. Right? As a dad, I get super excited when I catch my kids doing things that I wish I had asked them to do but didn't even think about it, and they thought of it and do it. Right? I get really excited. Or they go out and do something that I asked them to with a really good attitude. So, for example, the other day I, I saw all these, uh, we have this um, wooden fence, with, and then, you know, wooden fences, the nails start coming out after a while. And I'm like, oh, that's annoying. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I hate, I hate doing outside work anyways. And uh, I used to like it, but I don't have time. So I see it, I'm like, oh, that'd be a good chore for Gavin. He likes to you know, you get a hammer and you get a bang on something and you can't possibly ruin anything, right? So a 10-year-old's dream. So I, I say, hey, you want to go do this? Well, I, then, I, then I see him out there and he's working on it. It's like dark. He comes back in after dark. And I'm like, did you get all that done? He's like, yeah. So the kid got some money, right? I'm like, dude, you're awesome, <laughs> right? Impress your father. Well, our father in heaven kind of works the same way, but he gives a lot better gifts than I do. 
And understand, he loves it when we are obedient and we respond relationally to him. It's really not that complicated. You know, in Sunday school, we, we sort of throw out those ideas as being like old. Like, it's like, oh, like I've heard this before. We don't understand how sweet it is to be in a great relationship with someone. Is that not what you crave all the time? For good relationships with your friends and your parents? You know, I've been youth pastoring long enough where I know the number one request of students is actually to have an amazing relationship with their parents. Every time. I've sent surveys out to students. I haven't done it with you guys, but done it enough where every single time, what do you want most relationally? Every single time to a student. I've never had one not say it. They want an amazing relationship and a better relationship than they currently have with their parents. It doesn't matter how good it is. God is the same way and he's your heavenly father. He wants an amazing and better relationship than he has with you. And he's not shaming you in saying that. But he is radically in love with you and passionate about you. And he wants to have an amazing relationship with you. You have to know that. So our Father is the great gift giver, and his greatest gift to us was Jesus. Hands down. And he also gives us all those many things that I talked about. If you want to experience more of God's kingdom in your life, get in God's word and open up your heart to him and be attentive to what your heavenly Father is saying to you. And you have to realize his eye is already upon you. He formed you in loving care and he has more for you today than you have yet realized. God's kingdom of goodness is for you. His kingdom of goodness is for your family and your future family. God's kingdom of goodness is for us in Collide. God's kingdom of goodness is for our church, both locally and around the globe. His kingdom of goodness is for billions and all across the world. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we're glad to be here tonight. And I pray these words would sink in and I pray really above all else, Lord, that we would understand how incredibly passionate you are about us and how meaningful it is to you when we are obedient and how excited you get when we're obedient and when we follow your word as laid out in the scriptures and when we get into the scriptures to learn about you. So Lord, we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed and holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and in our lives and in our community. And may we together, empowered by the Holy Spirit, impact generations for eternity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.